Hi everyone, good to be with you. Uh, my name's Johnny, if we've not met. Please do keep uh, your Bibles open if you can. I'm going to start with some words uh, from a well-known singer. I don't recognize myself in the coldness of the daylight. I'm not surprised you can read through all my lies. I feel so bad to be here when I'm so guilty. I'm so far gone, and you're the only one who can save me. That song is by Adele. Um, it's from her last album, 30. Um, maybe you know it. Um, and she's talking about um, the experience of um, what it's like to have, have wronged someone, to have hurt them. She's actually talking about her young son um, in that case. And I think we can all, um, probably to different degrees, um, kind of relate to the experience that she's um, describing because on, on some level it's familiar to us. Her words speak to our experience of, of what it's like to, to be guilty, to have a relationship uh, damaged or even broken because of something we've said or done and for that sense of guilt to be heavy. But guilt isn't just, um, it's not just a modern thing. It's not something that just Adele feels. People have um, felt uh, guilty and, and written about and explored um, guilt for um, centuries. And one very famous example of that um, is uh, from the Shakespearean play, The Tragedy Macbeth. Um, if you don't know the story, um, it's set in Scotland hundreds of years ago, um, and it's about a nobleman who um, decides to seize the, the Scottish throne, um, really by killing anyone he needs to. Um, and I'm just going to read um, a few lines from that play, which um, Macbeth says just after he's killed the old king, Duncan, and he's literally got blood on his hands as he says these, these words. So forgive me if the, the language is a bit old school. He says this with blood on his hands. Will all great Neptune's ocean wash this blood clean from my hand? No. This my hand will rather the multitudinous seas incarnadine, making the green one red. That's a bit old school, as I say, so forgive me if it sounds a bit odd. But the point that he's making is that guilt is powerful. It weighs on us. It can be overwhelming. It can actually even totally transform us. And as Macbeth says, it kind of colors everything, the whole way that we kind of see the world around us, relate to others, even relate to ourselves. Guilt is powerful. And if it's not dealt with, it can lead us to darkness and to despair in some pretty, pretty horrible places. See, both, both Adele and uh, those words from Macbeth kind of speak of how guilt is heavy. It stays with us. And ultimately, because guilt um, kind of happens in the context of relationship, it's not something that, that we ourselves can deal with. We can't sort it out by ourselves. I'll come back to that theme of guilt in a sec, but just for, for sort of context, over the summer we're... Um, looking through um, a section of the book of Psalms called the Songs of Ascent. And these psalms are usually um, understood uh, as poems or songs, 
uh, which would have been sung by God's people um, as they journeyed towards uh, Jerusalem, the city on the hill, uh, perhaps for a celebration or a festival. So in other words, these songs give us um, little portraits or pictures of what the life of God's people um, is like as they, and indeed as we, journey towards our destination, the place where God is. Um, Obviously, today, we're not journeying towards the uh, physical Jerusalem um, anymore. But if we are trusting in Christ um, and seeking to live for him, then we, like the original singers of these psalms, um, we're pilgrims. We're on a journey. And it's not always easy. Um, So at the outset, we should understand that these songs and this psalm um, is our song, in a sense, These words are for us to say, to pray, to sing together. And so therefore, in some sense, we should um, see ourselves in these psalms. To help kind of explain what I mean, here's a, a quote from the playwright Alan Bennett. He wrote in one of his plays that the best moments in, in reading are when you come across something, a thought, a feeling, a way of seeing things which you had thought special and particular to you and now here it is set down by someone else a person you've never met someone even who is long dead and it's as if a hand has come out and taken yours can you hear what he's saying he's he's saying that when we read things the most powerful moments in reading are coming across something and being able to say, that's me, I know what that's like. So let's together read this psalm like that. In some sense, I'm looking to see ourselves in these words. Because in that sense, these psalms, these songs, they're they're mirrors. Um, They can show us what we're like. They can even... um, put words to thoughts and to feelings that perhaps we ourselves um, kind of struggle to express. And in that sense, they can be be a real kind of comfort to us and really nourish us. But because these psalms are not just any old songs, they're songs given to us by God, as well as mirrors kind of showing us what what we're like, um, they're also maps, in a sense, maps which show us where to go what we can say, um, what we can do. Now we'll come back to that kind of second aspect of the psalm in a sec. But as we start, we're just going to kind of look in the mirror, in a sense, as we read this psalm and feel together how the words, um, in a deeper and and older and ultimately truer way, um, speak to the reality of our guilt in a way that that goes kind of far beyond Adele uh, and Shakespeare. It speaks to the reality of our guilt and what that's like. But I do want to say up front that um, this is a psalm of hope, ultimately. And I hope we'll feel together kind of hopeful when we've finished. Um, The psalm is here to lift us up, not to kind of burden us. Um, So if it does feel a bit heavy initially, just just bear with me. It It will get lighter. Please hear me out. As I say, ultimately, this is a psalm of hope that is here to lift us up, particularly for those of us who feel weighed down um, 
by the reality of our sin and our guilt. So let's look at the psalm itself. Um, As I say, if you've got the Bible open in front of you, that will help. I'm going to read the first three verses of the psalm again, where we really get a picture of guilt and its reality. Verse 1 to 3. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? Many of you will um, have followed the the story in the news from earlier in this year, which I thought was frankly terrifying, and which dominated the the news for um, a few days at least. The story of um, the Titan submarine, um, which had five passengers aboard who'd paid huge sums of money to um, explore the the depths of the ocean. And they'd gone really far down into the Atlantic, I believe it was. But ultimately, the the vessel imploded under the weight of thousands of cubic meters of of water above it. I think we can all agree that being swallowed by the, the depths of the ocean is a terrifying prospect. Now, the psalmist hasn't actually drowned here. He's not physically dead. But through that language of depths in verse 1, he is employing a a similar set of of ideas and images to describe the felt experience of guilt, what it does to us. Darkness, a sense of isolation, maybe, being swallowed up and overcome. There might well be um, a sense of fear and shame mixed in. Do you have an inkling of of how he feels as as you read it? It's perhaps as as the psalmist kind of is on his journey towards Jerusalem, uh, where he's going to meet with God, when he thinks on God's purity and holiness, um, that he's prompted to reflect by contrast on his own uh, sin, his own rebellion against God. Um, To use the words of our confession, that might have been in thought, uh, word or deed. Um, or through negligence, weakness, deliberate fault. Whatever it is that he's done, as he recalls these things to mind, it drags him down. And the best word that he can come up with to describe that feeling is, is the depths. So do you know what it's like to be crushed by the sense of guilt for something? It might be a, a harsh word to someone you love. It might be a lie. It might be repeatedly ignoring someone that you know is in need. It might be the accumulation of, of lots of things like that. Or it might be one big thing um, that haunts you. That frankly, you might even be afraid to admit to yourself. That's, that's what you've done. But as I say, that the memory of it, or to use the language of the psalm, The record of it, verse 3, is something that we carry around with us and which weighs us down. And that's because our sin, it doesn't just disappear, the things that we do. It's not something that we can just kind of shrug off lightly. Ultimately, our sin creates a record of guilt. 
And that, that record, that, that sense, that knowledge of what we've done, it can be overwhelming if it's not dealt with. Because the, the reality of, is, as, as it says again in the psalm, that if God kept a record of our sins, none could stand. That's verse 3. Our sin is not something that we ourselves can sort out. In another one of the psalms, um, David, uh, king of Israel, after committing some of the darkest sins that it is possible to commit uh, against another person, he writes in another psalm, he says to God, against you and you only have I sinned. Because in truth, um, whoever we have wronged in a human sense, our wrongdoing is first and foremost an offense against God. And the relationship which suffers the most, whatever other relationships are affected, is with God. And indeed, it's not, uh, it doesn't just suffer, it can, it's broken if it's not dealt with. So our sin can't simply be forgotten. Now, just a, a reminder at this point that this is a song sung by God's people on their journey um, as pilgrims. So therefore, having a clear sense of our, our sin and guilt is something that we have at the, the beginning of the Christian life, that God works in us by his spirit, that prompts us to come to him. But in some sense, it's also a, a kind of ongoing feature of being a Christian. As we pursue obedience and holiness, it's a feature of the Christian life, a sense of our sin. But if we lose sight of God's grace, we can easily be, be burdened by it. We can be overwhelmed. One of the, the most famous pieces of Christian writing in history outside the Bible um, is a story called The Pilgrim's Progress by um, the Puritan John Bunyan. And it has, a, at the center of that story is, is, a, is a believer whose name is Christian, um, who follows Jesus through life, but he's, he's carrying around on his back a pack, a burden, um, which at different points through his life drags him down, even into despair. You may be a believer, and this may be true for some of us here right now, um, and be carrying a weight of guilt and shame. So you might see, if that's you, in the psalmist's words, in that mirror, you might see something that's uncomfortably close to home. You might know the, the reality of your guilt and your sin, the source of our guilt, that's almost too painful to bear. But the hope of the Christian life uh, is that the Lord does not leave us there. As I said, while recognizing our sin is, is a really important part of being a Christian, it is not ultimately God's will to leave us uh, in a place where we're in, where we're in despair, constantly walking around under a, a burden of sorrow or guilt. That's not his will for us. And that is one of the reasons why this psalm is here. But we've got to be clear on, on the reality of our guilt. There's no getting around it. And, and not just the reality of our guilt, but as I say, the experience of it, what it feels like to be burdened by guilt. what to do about it? Well, it's crucial to pay attention 
to what the psalmist uh, does when he's in the depths of his sense of guilt and and his burden, um, to use that language. He cries out, and specifically, he cries out to God for mercy. Listen to verse uh, 3 and then verse 4, which follows it. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Can you hear how the tone of the psalm shifts in that verse? It shifts from struggle, possibly even despair, to hope. And that's because of the psalmist's confidence. It's not that, um, he's not saying that with the Lord is the possibility of forgiveness or, or even the likelihood of forgiveness. As he turns to the Lord, the psalmist is confident with a sure and certain hope uh, of forgiveness. Read on in verses five and six. He says, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Earlier this summer, I went um, camping with a friend, um, and I'd not done so for about 10 years, um, so I was a bit apprehensive, um, and uh, it rained. Um, and it rained pretty hard and, um, and pretty non-stop. And, and I couldn't really sleep at all under the, uh, in my tent in the Lake District under the noise of uh, these droplets of water constantly hitting the tent. Um, and add to that the fact that I'd lost my torch and I couldn't find my earplugs. Um, it was a pretty bleak moment at the time. But I consoled myself with the knowledge that um, the morning would come. It might stay wet. Uh, I might have lost my torch. But ultimately, it, it would get light. That was a guarantee. The sun would rise. We would be able to pack up the tents and go home, ultimately, as we did. I was watching for the morning. That is what um, Christian hope is. It's not just um, optimism. Um, It's not just being sort of positive. It is a confidence in something, or rather someone, uh, whom we can trust, who is dependable, whose faithfulness is like the rising sun. Or rather, the rising sun is a picture of God's faithfulness. We can trust him because of who he's proved himself to be. Look at verse 7. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. See, the love that the Lord has for his people, the redemption that he offers them, is unfailing. He's not um, deterred by our guilt, nor is his uh, forgiveness somehow kind of partial or in any way incomplete or fleeting. It is constant and reliable, and it is always free for those who come to him with sincere hearts. 
seeking forgiveness and turning to him from their sin. Sometimes I think that we find it easy to, um, to understand that God forgives sinners as they come to him, but we maybe struggle with the fact that God forgives Christians as well. So as I say, his, his forgiveness is constant for those who come back to him repeatedly. And that can be yeah, difficult as a truth to keep in view, particularly when our guilt kind of weighs heavily on us. I think it's worth speaking just briefly to um, any of us who are sincerely following Christ, um, seeking to live like uh, him and to follow him in his grace, maybe struggling, but doing so sincerely, but are beset um, by a sense of guilt, a sense of failure, which just doesn't seem to lift. Maybe you know what it's like to be in the depths, to use the language of this psalm all too well. Perhaps you're, um, you're like a watchman waiting until morning. Maybe that feels quite close to home. But the morning doesn't seem to come. Maybe you're waiting for a sense of relief. But you just keep waiting and you keep waiting. Like those lines in, in verse 6 which repeat. That's what waiting is like. It's repetitive. It keeps going. Well, if that is you, um, can I encourage you, um, I guess, with this psalm, and with this truth. Around the time that um, John Bunyan was um, writing The Pilgrim's Progress that I mentioned earlier on, there was another John called John Owen um, who was also involved in, in Christian ministry. And he describes in these words that I'll read in a sec how the Lord um, used this psalm that we're looking at, and particularly verse 4, in his own life. Remember, these are the words of someone involved in, in Christian ministry, in fact, someone leading a church. He says this, I myself preached Christ for some years when I had uh, but little, if any, experimental, he means sort of experiential, acquaintance with access to God through Christ, until the Lord was pleased to visit me with sore affliction, whereby I was brought to the mouth of the grave, and under which my soul was oppressed with horror and darkness. But God graciously relieved my spirit in a powerful application of Psalm 130, verse 4. But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared, from whence I received special instruction, peace, and comfort in drawing near to God through the mediator. So it may be that, like John Owen, um, in some sense you feel afflicted, um, despite having knowledge of God and his grace, it might be that the kind of experience, the reality of that forgiveness feels a long way off and you might still be kind of laboring under the, the burden of, of guilt. Just speaking very personally, that's something that I um, struggle with quite often, in truth. But as I said, if that, if that is you, I feel really strongly that this psalm speaks directly to you and gives you hope in the depths of your despair. Because we can be even more sure than the psalmist was of the forgiveness and that is full and free in God because we have seen the Lord Jesus and the redemption that, he looked, that the psalmist looks forward to at the end of the psalm climaxes with his death in our place at Calvary at the cross. And it's Jesus who says to us, whoever comes to me, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. 
So hope in the Lord. Come to him in the knowledge that however burdened by guilt you might feel, he always delights to forgive. The psalm gives us a picture of how God's gracious forgiveness means that we can joyfully serve him, free from guilt and free from shame, washed by the blood of Jesus. As I said at the start, ultimately this is a psalm of hope. So we have this um, sure and certain hope of forgiveness in the Lord, but, but where does that kind of actually leave us? What can we do? How can we act on that hope? Well, one final um, quote for you. In the first of um, his 95 theses, Martin Luther um, famously wrote that um, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. The entire life of believers is one of repentance. But that repentance isn't full of fear. It's full of hope, of confidence that God loves to, delights to forgive those who come to him. So can I urge you, followers of Jesus, as you um, see yourself in this psalm, to pray and to say and to sing these words for yourself, make them your own. Perhaps you could pray it um, tomorrow, and perhaps you could pray it every day this week. However you do it, and, and whether it's using these exact words or something similar, perhaps the confession that we use, make it a practice, make it a habit. Come to God in view of his grace in Christ with the sure and certain hope of forgiveness from the depths of your guilt come to him not in despair but in hope that's ultimately what this psalm is about it gives us a reason to hope a friend of mine used to say um, keep short accounts with the Lord and what he meant was don't put off coming to him in repentance until Sunday Um, come to him regularly come to him often Come to him daily and know that his redemption is full and his love is unfailing. He is desperate, not just for you to come to him, but to keep coming to him and to know more and more of his grace in forgiving you. It's not as though God is sort of initially happy to forgive, but then thereafter is sort of a bit reluctant or rolls his eyes. That's not what he's like, however much we might be like that. We've got to be careful of remaking God in our own image. Our confident hope is that God is continually gracious and he has put this psalm here to show us that on the road with him, we need to keep coming back to him for forgiveness. And if we come to him, as I say, with a contrite heart, genuinely seeking him, and to serve him with reverence, as it says in verse 4, then we can be assured of his forgiveness. And just finally, perhaps as well as kind of preaching this psalm to yourself, maybe you could say it to a brother or sister, or at least remind them of the truth of their forgiveness, particularly if, if you know that maybe they're struggling with a sense of guilt or despair or lacking in hope. But together, let's often be coming to the Lord um, in hope in the knowledge of the the forgiveness that he loves to give us.
We're going to take um, the Lord's Supper um, together now, but as we do so, as we eat the body and blood of Christ as a means of grace to us, put your hope in the Lord, as it says in this psalm, for with him is full redemption. I'm going to pray for us now. Father, we thank you that with you is full redemption, that you are continuously gracious um, to those who come back to you with sincere hearts and repentance. Lord, would we hope in you? And as we leave here, would we be hope-filled people tomorrow morning and for the rest of this week and beyond? Thank you that you don't leave us in the depths of our guilt and despair. I pray that each of us might know that truth more deeply. In Jesus' name, amen.